0: coffee lovers, and welcome to the God Country live video podcast. Every, every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And now, live from Seguin, Texas, and other places around the world, your host, Jose Roberto Alaniz Jr. Hello, coffee lovers. It is 1900, Friday night. 7 p.m. for those of you who are not military oriented. Uh, And I am so blessed tonight to have my lovely wife with me, Connie. Say hi, Connie. Say hi.
1: Hi.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. So um, we have a great guest tonight, Tammy Moses. Uh, She is a fellow veteran. She's a fellow Navy veteran uh, who is in some of the veteran groups that I belong to. Uh, and we're in a mastermind group of a hundred people now. Uh, and so we, we see each other in passing. We have, we're also part of a different mastermind group and she has a, a business called the hoarding solution and, uh, she's got some priceless insights. So, uh, without further ado, I'm bring my guest on. Hello, Tammy.
2: Hello, Jose and Connie. How are you?
0: Good. 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 Doing Awesome. Uh, like i was telling tammy before we started we've got storms here that are rolling through uh, our area and so uh you know hopefully we won't have any issues but you never know <laughs> <laughs> so uh hello to everybody who's watching before we actually get rolling into the interview i'm gonna uh i plug a different business every week i usually put one where my name is but uh, today i'm gonna plug my friend Brian Stacy, he goes under PK Stacy in the groups. And I just put his website in the uh, comments and um, I don't know if they popped up except for on YouTube, but it's Tricon fitness and he's got some specials running right now. He's extremely highly motivated, highly educated. Uh, and he he's really passionate about what he does. So, um, give them a buzz. We also have the, I'm going to put it in, I'm going to try to put it in the Facebook comments. Uh, we're still running the promotion of D one. If you use our promotion code on our coffee for D one, you can stack that on top of the 10% that you get off for sign up for a subscription. So that's it. That's all the plug-in we're doing except for Tammy's. And so, like I said, Tammy's a Navy veteran and I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about where you were born and raised and what led you to join the military.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here Um, talking about all all the good things, including coffee. So I was born and raised in Port Angeles, Washington, Washington state on the West coast. And it was myself and my younger brother and my parents. And there were some interesting challenges growing up. Uh, and so that is kind of what led me to joining the military. Um, my dad was actually in the Navy. So it was kind of like I had heard about it. So I knew, um, later on, I discovered that on my mom's side, all of her, uh, uncles and her dad served in world war II. So I looked kind of learned much later in life that there was kind of this military tradition (laughs) on both sides. So, um, I, I don't recommend necessarily the route I took, which was, and I'm sorry, I'm going to bounce and shut this window because we need her. <laughs> I was the first interruption. You were worried about dogs. Um, <laughs> um, So I just, I think I was looking for a way out. And so I was more concerned about leaving than I was about, oh, getting an A school or anything like that uh, in the Navy. <laughs> um, so I don't, I recommend getting, asking those questions and getting your, uh, a school if you possibly can, you know, based on what you're interested in. And yeah. you still have a choice at that point, whether you enlist or what you do. And so uh, my suggestion is to, to be really aware of that and, um, on the other hand, I feel that it was a blessing and that God really led me on the path to actually join the military. And uh, I just feel like later on, he knew I would need that camaraderie. So, um, I, and I'm not sure how much you want me to dive into the background piece yet, but um, I'm happy to do that as well.
0: Okay. Okay. Um... Somebody lost us. I think we're still good, uh, John. If you're if you're on, uh, just put something in the comments. Uh, I get comments on on three different platforms, and so um, it's hard to tell if we're actually missing anything. But um, okay, so you, uh, what year did you join the the navy?
2: So I enlisted in 1992 and I was actually still a senior in high school when I did that and I did the delayed entry program and honestly I didn't even know like how to march <laughs> when I went to boot camp like I had to have like extra marching lessons because I I wasn't able to attend like the preliminary training so it, I but i could run like i started running way before i went to boot camp because i wanted to make sure that was not a place where i failed right like i wanted that success but i couldn't do sit ups so i had to really push out a lot of sit ups once i got there so um it but i would say my attitude at that point was i will not fail And it took me a lot of years to get to the point where I would say I will succeed, you know, shifting that mindset. And I honestly really wanted to go and do something different. My parents had hoarding issues. Um, We didn't call it that though, right? There wasn't a name for that. It was just excessive clutter. Why don't you clean it up? And to compound that issue, my younger brother was in a wheelchair. And so there was this, there was a lot of difficult dynamics sometimes growing up, but um, it it did drive me to seek something different, I think. And, and I think there's a lot of people, or at least I've come across a lot of people who join the military for one reason or another. And a lot of that is to get away from something difficult in their lives, whatever that might be.
0: So did you, I mean, how difficult was your, was your childhood? I mean, was it, was it so difficult that, that you knew like, as soon as I can, I'm getting out of here?
2: I think I had that in my head for years. Like as soon as I'm able to leave, I'm going. And so I, I really focused on how am I going to get out of here, but I didn't really have an answer. I just, in my head, I was like, well, I need to finish high school. I know that. And then yeah. I'm, I <laughs> and then I did look at um, community colleges and that was a, you know, a way to save money or a way to still be around the area where I lived. But uh, still I was like, I don't really want to be here. Like I want to go see the world. <laughs> and that's kind of where the, the military came in because I, I had a sense that I'd be independent if I joined the Navy and you, I mean, you're still being told what to do, right? You don't have a whole lot of control yet. It seemed um, better to me than some of the alternatives that I saw people doing like getting married really young or things like that. And I was like, that just didn't really appeal to me at that point in my life. I just wanted to, go have have fun and see things that I probably would never have a chance to do if I didn't go that route.
0: And what did you do in the navy? What, what was your I'm like I hate when people say MOS but MOS is the most recognized uh across all branches. If you ask a civilian about somebody's military MOS, they know what you're talking about.
2: And so many branches like know what the number is, right? Like what yeah. the number is to the, co- I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, first I was, and if you were in the Navy, you know, undesignated, like you go and you kind of fill whatever slot they've got. And so I I was undesignated initially and I painted, I went to a ship and I painted and swept and did all the things you do as a as a deck seaman, and I was stationed on the USS Niagara Falls, which was homeported on Guam, and so I had someone say, "Hey, would you like to learn how to be help the lieutenant with the admin stuff?" And I was like, "Ooh, I to get out of the sun." I like this idea <laughs> and so I said okay and I learned how to do that um, where you're writing the evaluations and stuff like that you know and and then I had a chance to be what we call a striker um, and become a personnelman which I did and I basically studied and took the exam and became a a personnelman third class which now that's even I'm old enough that that term is obsolete <laughs> And I, and there's like a whole nother, they combined like the, the financial piece with the personnel piece. So um, I, I can't remember what the new one is, but when I talked to some of the younger, younger military, they're like, we, what are you, who, what were you? So um, it was like, well, if you needed an ID card or if you needed uh flight arrangements or emergency leave or things like that, that that's basically what I did. Um, and um, it, it was an interesting experience, but I was very fortunate that I had, um, like a first and a second class, um, who were like, Hey, you're not talking to the detailer until you make third class, um, because our ship was decommissioning. And so they were very protective of, of me. And that was something I really appreciated that they were making sure that i I was not going to get stuck in something you know they were making sure I had the opportunity to pass the exam and and become a, I have a rate basically and anyway, after that, I went to um a personnel support detachment on Guam, so I went from ship shipboard to shore duty, which was um a nice change of pace. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I might I guess we're showing our age because they've done away with my rate as well. There there are no more I.C. men in the Navy. Uh, mm. All the interior communication rate has gone away, and they've rolled them into either the electricians or the electronics techs. And mm. so, yeah, I I I saw somebody the other day a picture of somebody with a patch of IC and I.C. I was like, hey, and uh, but yeah, that's um, see that's that's crazy because you went in undesignated. And they tried to get me to go in undesignated, and I said, "There's no way." I said, "I can go to the Air Force and get electronics and be a, a crypto, just like my dad was." Mm. And, and you guys, and and I didn't really have anybody to tell me. Like your dad was in the Navy, did you get advice from him on that particular?
2: He told me not to sign up if I did not get a school, <laughs> and see, I listened well, right? Um, <laughs> but. At the same time, I was, and I, I should have asked more questions. Like I wanted to be a corpsman. I thought I wanted to be a corpsman. They didn't have room for that. But how many rates does the Navy have? I yeah. mean, seriously, you know, I could have asked for something. And at the time, I, I was really interested in journalism and writing. And I'm like, why didn't I ask about that? Like they have, you know, the public affairs, and they have all this stuff. Like I don't even no, I didn't even ask about it. It was just like, oh, I get to leave? Okay, where do I sign? And I think my dad was kind of disappointed that I didn't listen to him. But um, at the same time, he was pretty supportive once he kind of got over the shock that I was going um, of that, you know, and so he was kind of one of those people that was in the Navy in the 60s. So he had kind of a different perspective of, <clears throat> the Navy and women in the military. And, you know, it was, but on the other hand, I think he was kind of proud that I followed in his footsteps in a way. So he just told me, you know, just like, shut up and listen and learn and, and you'll do okay. <laughs> and, you know, he was right that, um, but I was the girl with the green glasses so, you kind of stood out until you got your your brown glasses. <laughs> yeah. And then once I got them, I was like, okay, now, now I'm less, like, if I screw up or I misstep on a march or something, I'm less, like, they have to try a little harder to figure out who, who I am. You know, it's not as obvious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, how long did you stay in the Navy?
2: Um, I was in for four years. And... You know, a lot of my incentive was to travel to get money for school, and to be able to get a house at some point. You know, with the the VA uh, certificate to get a home. So, I I felt like I had accomplished everything I set out for, but I also feel like maybe I should have stayed. Like I had people encouraging me to do other rates or to even put in for OCS, and I was like, oh, I can't. Like, I can I can't do that. Like. That, you know, and yet much later in life, I came across other people who started in similar circumstances who successfully did go on to some of those things. And so there's times when I feel like I should have just gone for it. Like, what what did I have to lose at that point, you know, and how much could I have gained? And maybe I could have impacted people in a different way, but clearly that was not... The course that I chose, but um, I think it's important, especially if you're younger and you're trying to figure things out, and there's people that believe in you, you might need to believe them a little bit, even if you aren't quite believing it yourself yet.
0: Yeah, I um I had similar situation. I got out after four, well, almost five years,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: I had an officer that tried to get me and I had the same mindset and I guess I don't know if we had similar upbringings, but I was like me, I, I can't go officer. There's no way I can get through that course. Are you crazy? And uh, I play with the wires, you know, and that's what I do. And, and so I, you know, I guess like now we know, you know, we have that, that scarcity mindset or, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes now it's the imposter mindset where you, you know, just imposter syndrome where you just can't believe you're where you're at. But, um, So you did four years and then, and then when you got out of the service, did you know exactly what you were going to go do? Like you hit the ground running and boom, you were off to your career.
2: Uh, I would not say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say though, that like the first, the first job I had was some, it's something in a call center and, that was really because I had customer service, you know, personnel translates to HR or Mm -hmm. customer service type jobs. And so that's kind of how, when I went to a temp agency, that's kind of where we, where I was routed. Um, But through that process, I um, got a job that, where I processed medical claims for chiropractic and podiatry and, I just seemed to fall into that pretty, pretty easily. And it was actually something I really enjoyed doing. Uh, But it comes in handy sometimes now when I'm having to talk about like Medicare stuff with my mom, that type of things. But it, it wasn't really, I feel like for a lot of military, you just kind of take the first thing that comes up, you know, whether it interests you or like you need to pay your bills, so you take the job. But um, it took me a while to actually figure any of that out. I think you know, um, I didn't go back to college right away. I actually got married, um, which, frankly, probably wasn't necessary <laughs> um, uh, because it. it It was kind of one of those things, you're in your 20s, that's what you do, and um, I was married for 15 years before I decided, nope, Um, there's a lot of things that kind of led up to that, Um, but honestly, sometimes that's a decision you have to make, and I find it difficult when you're hemming and hawing in the middle, that's the hard part. But once you make a decision on anything, it's like, okay, I decided I'm going to move this way or this way. And that just takes away the anxiety. But the when you're stuck in what do I do, that's, I think, the hard part. And um, it, it took me several years. And then at that point, I was a military spouse. So we moved around. And so, again, you're in a place where you just kind of take whatever you can get you kind of have to explain this resume gap, you know, and, and that, I think that's the hard part that um, well, first it's weird to go from being active duty to now a spouse. Um, But then it's like, now I was, I had military service. I am a veteran, but now I still am doing a temp job or I'm moving here or moving there. And so you don't really have continuity in a career, you know, and but I did have good experiences. And through like the temporary agencies that you could go to and have an interview and give them your resume, I did end up with quite a few good positions along the way because of that route. And I think it's something, well, now I don't know. Like I work, I do a lot of remote work, a lot of virtual work for now. But at that time that was almost unheard of like, what? you want to work on a computer from somewhere like that's, we don't even do that. What are you talking about lady? Um, <laughs> so, um, it, but I do s- see transitioning people now where you, there's kind of still the same scramble, you know, like unless you are, are planning ahead or very aware of what your next steps are. I think a lot of people struggle when they get out, even if, you get out after four or five years, 10, or maybe you retire. There's still a lot of transition that happens when you go from military to whatever your next thing is that you plan to do.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I didn't know it. And I, I didn't, even when I married Connie, Connie and I got married in 04? 04 04. Uh, and I would change jobs every couple of years. And every time I did, you know, she'd be like, are you, you know, what are you doing? Why Why can't you just sit still? And of course, Connie stayed at the state of Texas for 30 years. And so she didn't understand that. And I didn't understand it either. I didn't realize that that transition was so like, you know, night and day, I just wasn't able to fit in places. I kept trying to find something. I didn't know what it was, uh, you know, until I found a place that was very much like the military. Um, but you were saying earlier that your that your childhood was kind of rough. Um, you made it through the military and then you started your life and then you got married. Did did things that happened in your childhood, how did they affect your military service if at all and then how did they affect the choices you made, you know, post military?
2: <laughs> wow, okay, loaded questions. <laughs> 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 but before I I just would like to say A, congratulations on 30 years. That is a long time to deal with a state entity. I did 12 and a half years eventually for the state. And so um, I can appreciate the tenacity it takes to get through (laughs) some of that. Um, I, I don't really know if... Well, I'll put it this way: I was very much. I didn't tell people my history when I was in the in the Navy. Like I was like, I left that. I'm not going to talk about it. Um, I'm. They're only going to know what I tell them, which was not much. And even in my friends and people that I knew, and that I was relatively close to, were not really aware of how I was raised, or that I even had a brother and a younger brother in a wheelchair. Like I just it was so painful. I just really shied away from it. But so that impacted my ability to have, I think, deeper connections with people, you know, a lot of it was very, I thought I was being, you know, transparent, but I was based on who I wanted people to think I was not necessarily who I actually was and why I tried to escape. And, but I will say that if you're growing up in some kind of dysfunction or chaos, or it could be hoarding, it could be having um, family members or people that are involved with other things, drugs, alcohol, you know, or maybe just emotionally not present or available. And so I think we seek, we seek what we didn't find. And so I feel like, or I know that having like a lack of boundaries around, your personal space, um, or or what's acceptable in a home. Like, I really think that impacted the choices I made when I got married. And I managed to find someone. So I guess I'm going to put it this way. I I was kind of broken myself. I had a lot of things I hadn't handled yet. And then I found someone who kind of had similar circumstances. And we kind of, it's like you tried to put two broken situations together. And it was just not, it wasn't a good thing, you know? And I, I believe that I did not feel very worthy or valuable. And it always seemed like the stuff or the items were always more important than the family or the people. Like for example, it's Christmas and you wanna put up a tree and that means you'd move things normally to clear a spot and but you couldn't really do that without there being some excessive level of um anger or crying or like hey you move things and it's like well yeah but it's like old newspapers and who cares i want to put up a tree so um my mom actually tells the story when my brother and i were small we were moving and she had said we're not having a tree and we went out and found a branch an evergreen branch and dragged it in the house and put who knows a cat toy or something on it and said we're having a tree anyway and so um I think it kind of well I really like Christmas and I and that kind of made me really want my own house so that one day I could decorate nobody would complain and so um just even that driving thought was one day I want to have my own house that started at a very young age and I don't even like I never really thought about how's that going to happen you know I just thought one day I'm gonna have my own house (laughs) um so eventually um I I ended up in therapy thankfully and um spend about three years having conversations about the relationship I was ending, but also who, who was I? Like I identified as a wife and a spouse. And a, at one point I was an ombudsman for one of the commands. And so, I mean, I re- that was kind of my identity. And then who are you when you leave that relationship, you know, at that point? And so I had to kind of really dive into, well, who am I and where am I going? And you know, I kind of don't like this job a whole lot, you know, I mean, there, so that self-reflection is what kind of prompted me to start looking at, yeah, I, I do want to finish my degree. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to go start a business. Mm, okay. Where did that random thought come from? You know, <laughs> I. Mean, but you start putting yourself in other environments and you start getting out of your comfort zone and you start connecting with other people and you're like huh, I kind of like what I'm seeing over here. I, I I don't really know about it, but I I resonate with making an impact or sharing a message that maybe isn't being shared, you know, and, and how do I start to maybe do something slightly different? And it's kind of what started the track to, hey, I'm going to look into something else. But it also started with, kind of like i i left the the military after a while i got a small amount of disability like i still i was a veteran right but i didn't really embrace it for a long time and it wasn't until i did that i started to make connections again that led me you know on the business path so um I appreciate where I'm at now. I appreciate the connections because, and earlier when I was saying that, I think God knew what he was doing um, because fast forward years after I w- enlisted and got out and did all these things. And it wasn't until like 2017 where I found Vet Tribe and where, you know, there were some other people I met prior to that, <laughs> that, led me to that group. But, So, like, for example, my brother is deceased. My dad is deceased. My mom is still here. Uh, We've re kind of reconnected over the past few years in a different way. Um, But, like, I don't have those people anymore. And so a lot of the connections I've made uh, feel like I have brothers and I have sisters and I have people who, in the veteran community, that, are very valuable people in my life. And so I feel a, a connection there that might almost seem, well, I don't really know. But for me, there's a family connection there, that there's an awareness of what what life can be like. I mean, I didn't spend time in the sand, you know, in 120 degree heat. I didn't have that experience, but I definitely get, you know, Roger that. And, oh, it's, you know, it's 1700. You better, you know, I mean, there's, (laughs) and there's a sense of humor there that isn't, not everyone would appreciate. And, And I think humor is actually really important by the way. And it is one of the positive aspects that I really took from my family is that there was a lot of laughter and a lot of humor despite mind boggling circumstances that most people wouldn't want to deal with. You know, nobody really wants their kid in a wheelchair. You know, nobody wants that. Um, But I also feel like it gave me a much different perspective on a lot of things that I probably would not have had had I not had some of those experiences.
0: And so, I mean, obviously to me, it sounds like, but because I know you a little bit, but all these things in your life kind of led you to what you're doing now. It wasn't really by accident. I mean, you had all these things that just kept like, you know, falling into place. And at what point did you say, okay, I'm going to do exactly what you're doing now. I'm going to help other people. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, it kind of evolved, um, but I would say my my experience in working with the state was I saw a lot of people in a lot of pain. And I, I feel like you can systemize a lot of things, but that doesn't change who people are. And at one point, I started doing I was out in the community a couple days a week and I was doing at that what we called medical outreach and so you were out from behind the bureaucracy of a, a, a building you know a government building and I really started to have conversations with people where you know you pull out your 20 pages of this letter you got and then you're like but they're like what does this mean and you look at it you're like Okay, well, and then you can kind of break it down in two sentences, like, and reduce that confusion. But I really started to see that I I was like, I don't really, I don't buy into the idea that we need to just automate everything. Like, where's the people element? And and I had someone I worked with come up to me one day and say, you're wasting your skills in this cubicle. What? Like... (laughs) And, but I had learned how to do facilitation. I had done some actual mindset work, not even like being really aware that that's what I was doing um, and sharing that with other people who were trying to leave state assistance and have a different life. And it just really took me by surprise. But I can tell you that I started to look at wow, what if you're right? What am I wasting my life sitting in this cubicle? Like, huh. And so (laughs) I had somehow, I got uh, directed to um, an event for women veterans in the Seattle area. And that led me to something called V wise veteran women igniting the spirit of entrepreneurship. And that led me to my first business mentor who I said, I wanted to talk about housing. I see an issue here. Affordable housing is a big problem in our country town but in our country um the waiting list is 3 to 5 years people are homeless like somehow I could do something don't ask me what I don't know and in a initial conversation they said well you know you, you appear to be entrepreneurial so what's plan B all entrepreneurs have plan B okay well I know about hoarding and I know how that impacts people um uh, my family um, that type of thing. And they're like, hey, do you know there's like shows about this? Yes, I do. I can smell them. Um, I can't watch, therefore, I don't watch them. <laughs> um, and so it kind of evolved into housing. Um, oh, but hoarding, guess what? People get kicked out uh because of hoarding, people get evicted because of this. Um Kids are living in it. Um, They don't have running water. There's nowhere to cook food. Like, you know, elderly folks are falling down in their space, and there's no one to help them. And so it just kind of became, oh, um, I know too much to be quiet. Like I, I have experienced this. I these are the survival things that I did, not even being aware that that's what I was doing. and I'm going to speak for a minute specifically to youth living in these situations because that's where I experienced it. Like we did not have running water. Um, I was not on swim team, but I took swim class, and so that was a way to be able to have running like daily, almost to have a shower. Um, I learned that my grandma would let me do laundry at her house, um, and so there's things like that where you can navigate it until you can be free basically and um, I didn't know that I, those were coping mechanisms and also I thought I was like the only person that had grown up that way and that which is inaccurate um, I'm in a group now, one of the groups it's not my group, but it's for adult kids um, that experience this and um, they're you're not alone is basically what I can say and if you look at numbers, of the people who have a hoarding issue the estimate the estimated amount is 19 million people in the U S and some people think that's a low estimate because a lot of people don't self-report that this is a problem. Um, so I never thought I was going to talk about this publicly ever. Right.
1: Cause that's what like, you ran from. Right.
2: <laughs> that's what I like. I was running away from right. a situation I couldn't control and why would I ever like admit that I know what that's like or the com- the choices I made to say, you know what, mom and dad, I love you, but I'm only going to meet you at a restaurant this time, you know? Um, or what, like you setting those boundaries was very difficult because like, you want to over help, like you get away, you see how broken it is, but they don't really want the help a lot of times or they don't, people don't, think they have a problem. So they don't understand why property management is involved. They don't understand why someone would come and say, Hey, you know, your kids shouldn't be living in this. Um, and so there's just a lot of misunderstood aspects about hoarding, but also in mental health, you know, and, and I see a lot of the mental health pieces that are, within hoarding that could be trauma. And a lot of times there's co-occurring issues like depression or anxiety. And so you you have like a, well, I look at it as an onion, you know, and every time I look at this, there's like another layer to whatever someone's experiencing. And you can't, you can have like a baseline of how you're going to deal with this, but every situation is actually very unique. And so I feel like the experiences I had with humans in other scenarios helped me really bring that into working with humans in a different way. And I did spend about three years uh, working um, on site with people that had hoarding issues and helping them clear their space and really being aware of what not to say Uh, And getting feedback from people on what they would prefer you to say. Like, don't walk in and say, hey, let's throw this all away. Yeah, they're not going to like it. And guess what? I don't either. And I have clutter, but I don't have hoarding. So just figuring out, say, you know, I'm really concerned about your welfare, Aunt Mary. Uh, I'm concerned about the fact that you can't walk through here and that you can't cook your meals you know and and look at it from a safety perspective instead of a i'm angry that you live this way perspective which is really difficult sometimes if you grew up in it it's very difficult to be um to take a slightly different perspective um and look at your parent or your loved one in a in a less angry way i guess um it's it's really challenging to um and you want the best for them, right? Like your parents, you really want them to have an easier life maybe than what they had. You want and you don't want to worry about them. Like you want them to be okay in their space, you know? And but um it's well, it, it's hard.
1: It's hard when it's your parents because you know, you don't want to hurt your parents. Even if it's for their own good. You don't want to hurt their feelings and things like that. And you know it now as potentially a mental health issue. Um, And do you address that mental health piece when you're talking to clients of yours?
2: I really come at it kind of from a coaching perspective where I, I want that person to be comfortable enough to tell me what's going on. And I mean, I've had scenarios where it's taken a year for like a family member will kind of connect me with the person and then it, but it would take maybe a year for them to say, okay, w- would you come and and let me please come to my house? My sister's bugging me <laughs> about this, me having a problem. Would you come over so I could make her go away type of thing. And it's a very, it's a moment where, they've actually let someone in. And a lot of times they haven't let someone in for a very long time. And so I just try to figure out where they're at in that situation, because a lot of times they're told what to do. They, no one asks them, you know, what do they want? And if you're an angry kid, you know, your chances are not really giving them a chance to talk. (laughs) Uh, which I understand and it can be helpful to have a third party or like my boyfriend actually can kind of really talk with my mom in a way that is different than what I can do, you know, and that causes action versus me stomping around, you know, stomping my feet like a ticked off teenager, you know, Mm -hmm. which I was, I was a mad teenager, uh, but I also spent a lot of time in youth group and I believe that was a saving grace. What, you know, I figured out where my parents would let me go and then church seemed like a, a reasonable place. And so I figured out how to be there a lot. <laughs> um, but yes, it kind it's really hard to try to navigate something with your parent, you know, and a lot of us are at the age where, we have an elderly parent or an older, I I don't know, the term elderly, okay, but older, you know, um, where some people are very agreeable to what, what you might suggest and other people aren't. And well, just my dad was, my parents lived in this, the house um, and, but I couldn't, like, I couldn't get them out of there. Like other people were involved, you know, there was, But there was like no, if you're competent, you get to decide where you live and what you do. And um, it took him falling and being stuck on the floor for like three days. And the neighbors saying, you know, my mom trying to get him up and the neighbor came and lifted him out of there. Uh, But anyway, eventually the ambulance came and got him out of there. And that was what caused him to go to the hospital, get fluids and all that, and then move to a nursing facility. And honestly, you know, most of us don't want to go there. I don't blame you, uh, anyone, I don't personally really look forward to that day either. Um, But that's what got him out of there. And he spent his final three years in a nursing facility. But for some people, that would be horrifying. But given the circumstances he was pulled from, it was not horrifying. It was a vast improvement where you could visit and read your books and people could come visit you versus sitting in a recliner in a little goat path place where you could barely get down the ba- down the hall to the bathroom. And I, I would say my suspicion is there was some level of, probably dementia or some kind of brain, organic brain issue that started to happen because there was a time when I don't think he would have tolerated that at all, um, living in those conditions. So um, it for a lot of us, it's, it is horrible to find out your parent is in a hospital, but sometimes it's, it's a blessing when mm-hmm. it's a circumstance that you've basically tried everything you know how you've called all the resources and they're like well they they're choosing to live this way uh yeah i know that <laughs> and that's why i'm calling you because it's not healthy um and so for me there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the mental health side being aware that it is not just stuff um but also looking at all the humans that are involved and that means the person that hoards. That means the kids. That means the first responders. Um, mental health. That means medical people. Like there's a whole, uh, even HVAC or someone coming in to do your computer or plumbing or like so many industries see this. And they're like, what is this? What do I do? And so I've kind of moved into that and looking at how to be more educational, more supportive um, of some of the people that do this work already. Uh, For example, junk removal, um, professional organizers. um, In the mastermind that Jose mentioned, there's people in there that do this work, you know, in different areas. And so connecting with those people is really kind of become one of my driving things is to have a space for the conversations that are really hard to have, you know, you go out for a drink and you say, Oh, by the way, I had to clean up, you know, my mom's bathroom today. And oh, guess what I found a rodent in the corner. Like, that's not a conversation that you're usually having, you know, so where do you, where do you talk about it? How do you connect with people? And for me, I just, a big thing is, I want people to feel safe enough to share their story wherever it fits, but also to know that they're not alone with it. And that, that is the worst part, I think, is the isolation. Whether you're the person that hoards because you have lots of stuff around you, you're not letting people in, or the kid when someone says, hey, you need to go help your parent. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I've been trying. Yeah. <laughs> so it's its not a simple thing. And sometimes I get that people are like, ooh, you talk about that? Like, see you later. You know, and so for me, it's about finding those people that are really leaning into the work they're doing, whatever it is. Like, I love your, you know, hey, we're going to Honduras to look at the farms and help with what we're doing. Like, oh, okay. Now that is super cool to be like, hey, we're that involved with what we do. We care that much that we want to know and we want to help. So there is something to be said about finding those heart-centered people no matter what you're working on. And trust me, there's a lot of coffee drinking going on when you're dealing with the working situation.
1: <laughs> it's got to be doubly hard for for family members, for children in particular, because, you know, it's not some mental health issues. That's not something, well, when I was growing up, we didn't talk about that stuff. You just didn't. So you mm-hmm. keep it quiet. You keep it, it it remains this element of shame and it gets right. silenced and silenced and, and then something devastating happens and then they look at the adult child and say, well, why didn't you do something? So you've got this guilt on top of shame. Uh, I, I I don't know how you survived.
2: Um, yeah. And and that's exactly right. You have like the shame of like you grew up in it and I had people even as a kid. Well, why don't you do something? I'm 12. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't know what to do. And anything I do is not acceptable in this realm. You know, it's okay. I can go wash the dishes. I can do some of that. But the actual clearing of things or boxes, like, no, that's not happening. And, And they're still your parents. And that right, and so I became really up like I finally had my own room, and I was like, No, none of your stuff's coming in here, like, I don't care. And so, I'm sure not only was I a sassy teenager, but now I'm like stamping my foot, No, you none of your stuff's coming here. What? No, like, you have the whole house, I want this little space. And something I learned is that clutter is very, um, distracting, it's very anxiety producing for me and I'm like so why am I working in clutter on other people's stuff like how is this happening but (laughs) um but I can see I I've seen people's mindset shift when they start to realize they could have a different space or you can have a different relationship with your parent like you can still love and care about them and maybe you just don't focus on that as much You know, you, you make a, I did make a choice to be like, okay, I'm going to still have a relationship. Um, I'm going to just not focus on this problem as much. And I don't know if that's the best choice. I feel like earlier intervention in some way would be better versus the crisis. But a lot of times the way it's set up right now, nothing happens unless it's a crisis. So um, it's, Sometimes I ask myself that, like how did I how did I navigate that and not like lose my mind as a kid? you know, um but then I think about my brother, and he was in a wheelchair, and so his ability to get out and around was even more limited than mine. And you're already kind of, you're a teenage, as a teenager, like life is already awkward and weird. and now, oh, I'm in a wheelchair by the way. And like, you know, so there's all kinds of more levels of things. And now recently what I've seen is like kids that left, they went off to college and because of the way the world is right now, they like go back home for some reason. And they're like, how do I, how did I live here? How can I live here now? I can't be on a zoom call in this room. You know, I mean, there's like this whole other piece of the puzzle that is hard when you're navigating the world and frankly i'm grateful i went in the navy i i came home after boot camp and i didn't come back for three years like i was like see ya um and i did right i called i sent gifts i did all that stuff but i i stayed away but the truth is, is i still wasn't dealing with all the stuff at that point you know i was still dragging around my little sack you know of trauma and what was that? And I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, but I will say the military was a great option for me. And um, it it's only recently where my mom was like, wow, I was really surprised you went in the, in the Navy. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, you were like, all I was trying to do was get out of here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but on the other hand, like my dad passed away and I feel bad for my mom in some ways because she was already, she was dealing with a kid that had a disability. She was dealing with the running a house without running water. Um, a lot of things going on that made life difficult and I'd like to see her life be easier now, but again, you don't necessarily get the buy-in that they deserve an easier life. And, um, there's a lot of self-worth and a lot of worth issues wrapped up in stuff, you know, and you start ripping it away. You start um, telling them, you know, you don't need all this crap, which, okay, that's probably true, but you might need to find a better way to approach it. Um, it, it It's really hard because you really do want what's best for them, but they don't always agree about what's best for them. And, and, that that can just be hard to to navigate, basically.
0: So, <clears throat> if we're we're getting close to an hour, and what I want to start doing because I want to give Connie some time, and then myself and yourself to for some final thoughts. But um, I've got your information on the on the ticker on the bottom. Uh, that's how people can get a hold of you. Mm-hmm. But uh, what would you tell somebody? I mean. Somebody who's listening and and they're maybe they're not experiencing anything, but, but they know somebody who's in the exact situation that you've spoken about. How do they get from just knowing to picking up the phone, talking to Tammy and saying, hey, how do I address this issue?
2: Well, uh, and a lot of times people wonder why I say this, but my first thing is, how are you doing? How, you know, how is where are you at? in your life? Are you at a place where you could, you want to step in or are you at a place where you want to say, Hey, you know, I know someone who talks about this issue. Maybe you want to listen to their podcast. Um, maybe you want to check out their group or, Hey, I saw this cool article, you know, and you might go at it in a benign way like that. But, um, primarily what I would say is, if you have a relationship with that person, continue having one. If you don't, or it's kind of touchy, reach out a little bit, ask how they're doing, see if there's something they need, and just try to establish that relationship that isn't necessarily about cleaning up their stuff today. I will also say sometimes it's very dire, um, and you may need to take massive action right away, like, Help saying, look, I'm coming today to try to help you clear out your fridge or get to your, you know, your bed today. Um, And if they're will, sometimes people are willing, like they they've just been afraid and ashamed um, Mm -hmm. to reach out. But come at it from a really human perspective and kind of like if that was your house, what would you want someone to do? Would you want them to come in there and stomp and scream around? Or would you like them to say, hey, I'm, I'm concerned about what's going on here, you know? Um, so I think establishing the relationship and keeping that going is a really key piece. If you are personally in a space to be able to do that.
0: That's really good advice. What would you, uh, closing thoughts, what would you ask Tammy on this? Anything that she's spoken about tonight?
1: Um, I asked her when I, when it came up, <laughs> I, if I don't ask people questions, when they're in my head, I lose them. So,
0: <laughs> well, I, I think that the, you know, I, like I said it in the notes, uh, when I promoted this, that you have a really unique insight, um, and, and you have your perspective is something that people who are in these situations, people who aren't in these situations should know. You know, because there's a lot that goes into not just your situation, personal situation, but, you know, mental health can do a lot of things. Uh, it can manifest itself in so many different ways in a in a life, in a marriage, you know, in, you know, your children. And so people, I think they look past that sometimes. Uh, and, I, you know, you, you reminded me this morning when we were talking or yesterday that, you know, May is mental health month.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And
0: uh, I, I saw you recently put it on your Instagram and um, the LinkedIn link that I'm on the ticker people, whoever's listening, you can go back and watch Is It has all of Tammy's links. You can go to all her social media. You can go to um, her Facebook page. Um, and she's got a podcast also. You have a podcast, right? Tell us about I do. that.
2: The hoarding solution podcast.
0: How often does that air? And when, and when can people, Tuesday so
2: full transparency my goal is on Thursdays <laughs> the guest episode is released and on Tuesdays I do a Tuesdays with Tammy which is kind of more of a <clears throat> my perspective on things um, but generally Tuesday and Thursday I try to uh, put out a, a new episode um, because it, there's a need again it's just another venue for people to share their perspective. Um, and broad industries, you know, I'm looking for broad industries that want to talk about it. So.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure having, uh, uh, taking the time just to talk with you and hear your insight uh, and your story. I mean, I, you know, I knew a little bit about you, but I didn't know, uh, you know, the, the path that you took from, from when you were a child. And uh, you're doing you're doing great work in the space that you're operating in, uh, and so you've obviously adjusted very well. Um, thank you for taking taking your Friday evening to come on and talk with us. Uh, and I know from a God perspective that somebody always needs to hear what you have to say, and uh, you never know what's going to come out of your mouth that somebody needed to hear at that exact moment. And so we impact people all the time, even when, when we don't know that we're impacting them. And so I know that your story has an impact on somebody that's listening. So, Thank you so much. If you'll wait just for a second, I'll put you in the green room and then I'll come back to you in just a second. I'm going to close the show out.
2: Thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking with you both.
0: Thanks, Tammy. Hang on one second. Hey folks, that was a great uh, chat that we just had with Tammy And I was so excited. I got to have my wife with me finally. I feel like I do this thing all on my own, but I really don't. Uh, I I like the analogy of the duck on the water. You know, on top, he's just kind of cruising along. And down below, his feet are churning away. And um, that's my wife. She's the one that's churning away to make sure that I have everything I need. And and I was really excited to have her tonight because she has insight uh, that I don't have that her and Tammy share. And so I was really, you know, excited about it. Thank you for the questions that you asked her. It was, I mean, perfectly on point. So next week, you got to tune in because we're going to be in the mountains of Honduras. Oh, yeah. And we're going to be interviewing a History Channel, former uh, host of Forged in Fire, Will Willis. And uh, we're going to do a lot of lives from there. We want you to see what's going on with the people And um, just excited about God blessing us with a way to go down there. and, And hopefully, like Ashley, hopefully we can make an impact in somebody's life as well. So until next week, treat each other the way God intended to treat one another with love, kindness, and respect.
1: Until then, God bless.